So part of our readings, as I mentioned this morning, is uh, 1 Corinthians. So if you have your Bibles, let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And we'll have a little, a kind of abbreviated exposition here. I, I could have extended it. But we want to look at verses 10 through 13. And if you've been in the churches of Christ long enough, you should be very familiar with this scripture. And many of the applications that are involved in it. It has always bothered me to see churches divide and split. And there's some things that we can do as, as Christians to prevent that, to help that. Now, there are going to be people, even groups of people, within bodies and congregations where the Bible already warns us there are going to be false teachers, right? There are going to be wolves in sheep's clothing and that they are going to secretly come into churches and they are going to draw away disciples after themselves. Bible warns us in Romans 16 and verse 17, Acts uh, 20, 28, uh, 31, and a number of other passages may come to your mind that tell us to, to be aware of that and to be prepared for it. So there's going to be a group, and there can be a group of people that will come up and rebel, rebelling against Christ. And when they leave or separate, I really wouldn't call that a split. It's more of an what it is, is apostasy is what it is. So, <clears throat> that kind of thing, in many ways, probably can't be completely avoided. But when it comes to unity among brethren, and a matter of what the truth is, it's heartbreaking to see sincere Christians bump heads. It's though they forgot what united them in the first place, and then when they have that conflict, instead of looking for resolution and finding it, they go different ways. And in some of that, I think there's much rebellion too. So I want us to look at this scripture and take it to heart. Uh, think about some things that we see here in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 that we have to continue to maintain. And by maintain, I think about Ephesians chapter 4. In Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 3 the Apostle Paul sent to the church at Ephesus, and he tells them to maintain the unity of the church in peace and do it forbearing with one another in love. In other words, main, unity is something that must be maintained. You have to keep it up. Well, how can we maintain it? What are we doing that provides a foundation and a basis that keeps Christians together to where we're not fussing over opinions and inferences and things that really don't matter. And I think this passage here is very helpful in that. Let's take a look here. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning in verse 10. Let's read it down to verse 13. Paul says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not going to point everything out right now, but look at this. He says, I appeal to you, brothers. Notice how he's addressing them as brothers. He's appealing. How is he doing it? By the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why would he say it that way? Think about that. He says that all of you agree. You know in Greek where it says all right there? It, you know what it actually says? It says all. That's what it says. In Greek, it means all of you agree. Well, how can all of us agree? Nobody agrees on everything, do they? How can a church agree? How can Paul say this, that you all agree? Let's keep reading. And that there be no divisions among you. 
that there be no schisms among you. He says, but that you be united in the same mind and in the same judgment. And by judgment there, he means purpose and meaning and discernment. That you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. Verse 11, For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. There's arguing among you. There's quarreling in this church. And if you're familiar with 1 Corinthians, you know about the things that are going on and the conflicts, the very disturbing things that happen within this congregation that is dividing it and almost pulling it and ripping it apart. Verse 12, he says, What I mean is, is that each of you, they're quarreling, each of you says, I follow Paul. Or, I follow Apollos. Or, I follow Cephas. Or, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? And I could keep reading there because then he goes on to thank God that he only baptized a few of them. If you look at that, I want you to notice some things that we read there. And if you've ever paid close attention to this passage, you've, you've probably seen a lot of these things before. As has already been noted, we can agree on all things. What does he mean by that? I don't think he means like uh, who our favorite sports team is and things like that, or what our favorite color is. Matters of opinion or matters of inference. But that there is a basis of unity that we can agree on the very core and on all those things. And you get that very clearly in Ephesians chapter 4. If you keep reading, I referenced already verses 1 through 3, but if you read the seven ones that's mentioned in verses 4 through 6, you'll note it there as well. I thought about reading that tonight, but I'm going to leave that to you. So that's Ephesians 4, 1 through 6. But we see this as well. The Christians, how are they to unite? They're to unite in the same mind and in the same purpose. We have the same purpose. We think, we should be thinking in the same way. How can we think in the same way? How is that possible? Well, he gives us answers to this in the text, which again, we're going to talk about that and I'm going to, Bring out some thoughts on that in a moment. Because this really is the fundamental to, to all unity with any group of people. You have to have some basis and core and foundation from which you build upon. And some people rebel against that and they forget it. But here we see again, it is possible that Christians can unite in the same mind and the same purpose. In fact, we're instructed and commanded to there. Then we read this, and we know this about the text. We see that churches should not exist with divisions among their members. There shouldn't be quarreling among them and arguing among them. That shouldn't be taking place in congregations. We see also here is that Christ can, and I love this point from, from Paul. He says, Christ cannot be divided. And so the, the, what's the meaning here and what we see in other passages, for instance, when we go to Colossians, when we go to Ephesians, and we read of that Christ is the head of the body and the, the church is his body. And Christ isn't divided. He is the head's not divided, so the body can't be divided. I remember an illustration that a minister showed me one time, and I remember specifically who it was. And he drew up on the marker board and he drew a head. He said, here's Christ. And he says, the world wants to say there's many ways to be saved and he drew a body on that head stick man body and he drew another body and another body and another body coming off the head so it became silly and absurd he says that's that's not the way it is to be it's to be a body that works together the members the hands 
the feet and the arms, every part of the body working together. So again, Christ can't be divided, divided so his, his body is not to be divided. Churches should not divide according to the names of their leaders, but you see that. And it's mostly reflected today among denominations, isn't it? The people, by some kind of methodology or some kind of practice of, of baptism or somebody who was connected in the founding of their church, their churches are named after them. You can see them when you drive down the road. Now some of them have been a little bit smarter than that. But we don't want to have any denominations and we don't want to divide according to any name. That's why the churches of Christ have chosen to make sure that we keep our identity as of Christ. That we are simply and merely Christians. And with that basis we offer and we have... We have we do what the Bible tells us to do in offering and providing the basis of unity that is stronger than any other. I've often read these books, and one of the books I have um, in regards to like denominations, and will be listed in there, even though we're non-denominational, but non-denominations are listed in the denominational handbook. Explain that. But anyways, there's lots of churches and different beliefs in there across the spectrum of those who claim to be Christian. And I remember in the, one of the denominational handbooks that I have that it reflected and it said, listen, the churches of Christ have no hierarchy. They don't have any kind of counsel over them. And here they are, especially in the United States, of eleven to 12,000 congregations. And they're more united in their teaching uh, than many of the denominations that do have that who think that, that the denominational hierarchy or structure they had will bring them together. And I think there's much to that. And the reason why, even though we've, you know, every, there's been congregations that have divided and split where there's been rebellion and false prophets, because Jesus said they're going to come, the apostles have warned about them. That's nothing to be, I think, ashamed of. We want to prevent that, but how can we do that? What does the Scripture say? What has given us that basis of unity? And here it is that, as Christians, we are to unite, and that is in the cross of Christ. So if you go a little bit down further here, 1 Corinthians 1, verse 18, tying in with the message this morning, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. It is that foundation that we start. That's where Paul begins here in 1 Corinthians. It's on the cross of Christ. Now he's going to come a little bit further and come full circle to 1 Corinthians 15, to the gospel, to the death, the burial, and resurrection of Christ, because some people in this church were doubting the resurrection. They were skeptical of it and asking questions about it. But here, Paul at least gives them that basis. He says, this is the power of God of which we believe, the word of the cross. And it's true. And what we read here, and the Apostle Paul goes on to say, this is God's wisdom. And the gospel is a wisdom, in a way of thinking, a philosophy that transcends the wisdom of the world. But why? Because it comes from God. So when I look at many churches and you see them dividing, for instance, right now in the news, you'll see churches splitting, mainstream churches crumbling and falling apart right now and falling into pieces. And what are they arguing over? They're arguing over what the news and what... Uh, politicians and parties are telling them to argue over to question basic fundamental things in the bible that we thought that never would be questioned and churches are just splitting over them oh well, why is it that that people are going away from the truth and away from god's word why are they arguing over these matters 
And I see a, a little bit of fault in some of them that are holding to the truth in God's Word in some part where they're not doing it fully. They're not going completely back to Christ and to the Word and to the Scriptures. And we want to make sure that we continue to maintain that foundation. So when I hear these things and I hear you know, different, these different mainstream churches breaking apart, in some ways it's a good thing. When they're teaching error and they continue to increase in their error, you can't stand. You have no foundation to stand upon. And whatever influence you have has been negative anyways. And if you're going to go along with what society tells you is right and wrong and then try to remold God and to reform Christ to fit that, it won't stand. It won't last. As Christians, we have a basis of unity. It's in the cross of Christ in contrast to the foolishness of the world. And Paul goes on here. You keep reading down to verse 21 to 24. He says, the world cannot know God by their own wisdom. Listen to this. Let's just look at that. Verse 21. He says, for since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. They didn't know God through their own wisdom. They can't. And this is by God's plan. He says, it pleased God through the folly of which we preach to save those who believe. If you don't believe fundamentally about Christ and that he resurrected from the dead and that the things that he says, because he is, he is sinless, that his words are without fault and without error. And if you don't listen to Jesus when he says, and he quotes from the Old Testament prophets and he quotes from Moses and speaking from God and saying the Holy Spirit spoke through David. And you don't recognize that Jesus accepted the Bible that was handed down to him, and then he passed on the word of all truth through his apostles and prophets. When, when people don't have that basis, and a lot of churches are, are like that, they, they've come to the point where, well, and I've told you about this before, of uh, that a group, the denomination UCC, where I heard one of the preachers said Jesus sinned when he corrected the Syrophoenician woman by saying that, you know, why should I take from the children and give it to the dogs? And then the man went on to say that Jesus was racist. Well, you can't have that kind of teaching and think you're going to have any unity or any kind of thinking at all. It is absurd. And yet you have churches trying to redefine what gender people are or who does what in the church or what system makes up marriage. It's crazy. Their foundation has been lost. And it all, again, goes back to the way that they view Christ and view His words. And if we would listen to Jesus, if we actually knew who He was, in the Bible, those kind of things would not happen. I hear about churches that come up to, and, and among churches of Christ, where there'll be like this weird group. Somebody will get this strange idea. Well, baptism is not necessarily a part of salvation. Or it has, if you're not a Christian, it doesn't mean you're, you're not saved. These things are contrary to what the Bible plainly teaches. It's contrary to what Jesus plainly teaches. And when you don't believe that Christ's words, again, are inerrant and infallible, that he is without sin, that the revelation that he claims and preaches from from the Old Testament and that he is delivered through his Holy Spirit into the New Testament is without error and without fault and, not with, and without that foundation that we see that is from God. When you deny that, you're going to crumble. You're going to have division. It's all left to opinion then. So it's up to us as Christians to continue to maintain unity. I want you to notice something else here. It also stands out to me in 1 Corinthians, throughout the rest of the text, is that he talks about building on Christ as the foundation. Building on Christ as the foundation. I'm going to move ahead a little bit. Go to chapter 3 with me. It's a part of our reading. 
And you'll notice this. Look at verse 10. 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 10. Now, I kind of just skipped over chapter 2, but chapter 2 is essential. And I've already been essentially talking about it, but we'll come back to it. Look at verse 10. According to the grace of God given to me like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds on it. Well, what foundation? Look at verse 11. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. There's the problem. When your foundation is not on Christ, when churches don't put their foundation on Him, and they don't listen to Him when He says, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. We don't listen to those simple teachings and they want to dissemble it and pull it apart and deny it, and then try to put one scripture against another as though they're not harmonious. You're going to have these problems. We have to build on the foundation that is Christ. And then He says here a little bit further, whatever you build on that foundation, it's going to be tested by fire. It's going to be revealed. Is it built with precious stones that, and things that will endure the fire? Or is it made of wood and hay and straw that's just going to blaze up and be taken away? And now he goes on here and he's talking about those who are preaching. And even though they have the foundation and they're saved in Christ, even what they do, if they don't do it according to the wisdom of God, even though they may be saved, what they're building on Christ can be just destroyed. We don't want to build on anything else than what Christ has given us and told us to do. All right, now let's go back up to 1 Corinthians 2. 1 Corinthians 2 is all about the wisdom of God that's been given by God's Holy Spirit. And I love this passage here because if you look at verse 13, you have the verbal inspiration. By verbal inspiration, I mean every word that was spoken by Christ and by the apostles and prophets is inspired of God and guided by the Holy Spirit. God gave it to them, down to the Word. Look at this, 1 Corinthians Two and verse 13. And we impart this in words. In words. Not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit. Interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. I know there's another alternative um, in translation to that. Of revealing spiritual truths by what is spiritual. And that is words of God given by the Holy Spirit. Back up in chapter 2 and look in verses 1 through 5 with me. Paul says, And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come to you proclaiming, uh, did not come to you proclaiming the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. I didn't come to you teaching about God because of some philosophy or something of my own that I came up with or that I would have been trained in rhetoric. No. He says, verse 2, For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That's the foundation. That's the basis. That's the gospel we believe in. We start right there. Just as the message this morning on the cross of Christ, the word of the cross, so fundamental. And if you, you, anything that you believe as a Christian, I would hope that you've sat down and thought about it fundamentally that we follow in the Bible and think about how it is connected with Jesus. Why is, why is it that the church is organized the way that it is? Why is it that we do the things that we do? It's based upon who our Creator is and how He's designed us and how He has saved us through Jesus Christ and what commands He's given us for a body of people to stay united together. He's given us the basis for, for leadership and everything that we need. Let's finish reading here, verse 3. 
And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling, and my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men. And I'm concerned about that. Because if you get pulled and tossed to and fro in politics and whatever else is going on in society, and you start thinking more like men and less like Christ, which happens. Your faith is no longer resting on the power of God, on the word of the cross. It's resting in the wisdom of men. I mean that in every social opinion and every political ideology, all of them. It has to come back to Christ. Tonight, I hope that we think about this. And as you read through 1 Corinthians chapters 1-4, through 4, You wrestle with it and you see the power of what the Apostle Paul is saying here. And the foundation he's giving to rescue this church. Because it was breaking apart and it was dividing and it was filled with sin. And the Apostle Paul, and the things that he says to them here, helps to save them. And that tells us something. We've got to have that foundation and basis and we need to be able to speak up. We can say things to prevent those conflicts and division any further and any further rebellion. Another thing that has stood out in summary here in 1 Corinthians 3, he gives us the foundation of Christ. But he tells them something about preachers. You know how what we read about in verse 13, how they, oh, I'm of Paulus, I'm of, of Cephas, I'm of Paul, I'm of Christ. And he, he goes on here in chapter 3 and he says, you be careful. Because the preachers, he says himself, I planted and Apollos watered. They're just doing the work. It's God who gives the increase. The claim, the belief, it needs to always go back to Christ, always go back to God. It is God that gives the increase. It is by His Word, and it's not of those men's own, their own doing. Don't give them any more power or you know, praise than what God has blessed them with. In other words, they're not there to divide the churches. We already know who we're to be loyal to before any other preacher, any other teacher, any other person. It all comes back to God. I want to leave you with one more passage tonight. And this one comes from Christ, very simply, in Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. At the end of the Sermon on the Mount, verses 24 to 25. Now we've known this, if you've grown up in the church since you were a child, listen to the words of Christ again. Everyone who then hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Let's read that again. Everyone then who hears these words of mine, the words of Christ, and does them, does the words of Christ, will be a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rock is... Christ and his words and doing and the rain fell and the floods came and the wind blew and beat on that house but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock and the church has a solid foundation Ephesians 2 says our cornerstone is Jesus Christ and the apostles make up the foundation by which we stand let's maintain the unity of the church And do what we can to encourage others to go back to the word of the cross 
go back to the power of the gospel as the foundation, the basis, the beginning of our unity and work to maintain it. It's a wonderful thing to encourage others to just go back to the simplicity of the gospel. Tonight, if you believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, you can confess Christ. Having repented of your sins, you can be baptized and begin a new life. If anyone here this evening needs prayer and encouragement, we want to pray with you. We want to encourage you. Let's sing together.